Okay, our Bible study for today, though, which is also interactive, you are welcome to call 1-800-324-843 anytime you want. Um, and you can text us on 0491-064-669 if you've got comments that you'd like to share with us. Um, you are always welcome to do so. And so, um, yeah, this one is all about Daniel, Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, and other historical individuals. So we're looking this week at the Bible as history. And the book of Daniel is one of those books that has really been, I guess, out of all of the books of the Old Testament, along with Jonah, it's been the, the one that's been criticized the most. Yeah, I've, I've heard, I, I love the book of Daniel. There's yes. countless great, amazing stories in there, but I've heard a lot of criticism about whether or not the events in the book of Daniel actually happened from people outside the church. What's the basis for the criticism against the book of Daniel? The lack of, well, the alleged lack of supporting evidence uh, in, from what I've heard or seen. Okay. Most of the arguments that I've come across have been based on the accuracy of the book. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yes, like the, 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 book is, the book is yeah, but the book is so accurate that it must have been written after the events. Yes. Yep. Okay, so we're going to look at uh, some of the history of the book of Daniel, and what you're going to find in the book of Daniel is that critics who criticise the book of Daniel have always based their criticism on based on Greek and Persian histories. Uh, the reason being was that a lot of the Babylonian history had been lost. A lot of the Babylonian history was written in a language that people didn't really understand anymore. It was on cuneiform tablets, tablets that were buried under rubble. And so they came to rely on Persian history and then more specifically on Greek history, where you had Greeks. You know, the, the early Greek philosophers and historians were very, very um, interested in recording the history of the world. And so we have you know, some really... Uh, quite comprehensive Greek histories that you can either believe or not believe, uh, depending on what you want to do. And so when they read Greek history, they're like, well, there's a lot of differences between Greek history and Persian history and what the book of Daniel says. What we have found in modern times is that a lot of information that was lost to the Greeks and the Persians is actually recorded in the book of Daniel. There is not a single solitary historical mistake in the book of Daniel and that because this was information that had been lost to the Greeks and Persians, it's impossible that it was written during the late Greek early Roman era because it writes about information that the Greeks and the Romans simply did not have at that time. For instance, the king by the name of Belshazzar. Not Belteshazzar. Not Belteshazzar, no, that was Daniel but Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Okay, so all of the Greek, Persian, Roman histories recorded Nabonidus as the last king of the Babylonians. And the Bible recorded Belshazzar as the last king of the Babylonians. Not only did the Bible record him as the last king of the Babylonians, but the Bible said that he made Daniel to be the third highest official in the empire. It's very, very interesting uh, information. Indeed. Uh, and, of course, this was uh, criticism that was heaped on the book of Daniel. Like, this is just a myth. There's nothing here that you can believe. You can't take any of this seriously whatsoever at all. Until a couple of years the science ago. of archaeology came along. Indeed. Yeah, more than a couple of years ago, more back in the 1800s. <laughs> um, 
Oh, I mean, compared to compared to back when when Daniel was around, it, it's a couple of years. Sure. Okay. <laughs> but the science of archaeology was uh, discovered. They began to go excavating in the Middle East. One of the cities that they were particularly keen to excavate, of course, was this city of Babylon. They found Nebuchadnezzar's name plastered all over the place, imprinted into bricks everywhere, and suddenly they began to dig up wherever they went records of this king by the name of Belshazzar. Belshazzar. It's like, who is this king? Where did he come from? Why is he recorded here in the Babylonian records and in the biblical record, but not in the Persian, Greek or Roman records? Mm. And there are two reasons why. Number one, the Babylonians were recording their own history, so they were giving eyewitness accounts. And number two, God, when God writes history... God does not make a mistake. God records history as it was. And just because the Romans, Greeks, and Persians had forgotten about this King Belshazzar does not mean that God had forgotten about it. Indeed. Or would ever forget about it. No, no, no. And so God wrote it down just as it was. And, of course, God preserved that history in the book of Daniel um, because the book of Daniel was written as an eyewitness testimony, as were the, you know, the cuneiform and so forth inscriptions that were discovered in the city of Babylon. Okay, so there's a few thoughts on Belshazzar and the Bible as history. And this is one of the things that we find in the Bible. We often find the Bible speaking about historical events that have taken place in the past that we don't actually know whether they took place or not. This is what is interesting. There has never, ever been anything discovered in archaeology that has proven a single detail of the Bible incorrect. Not one. And the Bible is a big book. There is a lot of scope to be able to prove some event to be incorrect. And not one has ever been discovered. Now that's significant. Uh, We need to bear that in mind. We also need to bear in mind that in contrast to that, there is almost an innumerable number of events and people that have been confirmed in history as being historical figures who really lived and who really uh, did the things that, you know, the Bible says that they did. And so we need to uh, bear all of this in mind and to... Remember that archaeology, the science of archaeology, is proving the Bible right again and again and again and again. And working with tremendous limits. We need to remember also that, you know, 1% of all archaeological sites that exist have been excavated. Only 1% of the area of each site that can be excavated has been excavated. And that only 1% of anything that, that did exist in the past has been preserved into the present. So you're dealing with a minuscule supply of uh, detail that's coming from the world of archaeology. Okay, so we need to continue on the book of Daniel. We're going to look at. We're actually going to look at uh, Daniel chapter three. Uh, there's some really, really interesting information that has come to us uh, in relationship to Daniel chapter three and the loyalty ceremony that takes place in Daniel chapter three with the great golden image on the plains of. Jura in the province of Babylon. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so let's uh, let's consider Daniel chapter three for a moment. And for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, let me just 
run through the story fairly quickly and then we're going to go back and have a look at it in a little bit more detail. In Daniel chapter 3, you have a loyalty ceremony that is taking place. Nebuchadnezzar has called together the leaders of the Babylonian Empire, anyone who is of any authority at all. Anyone in any position of authority has anyone been called. Anyone that is anybody. That's right. Anyone who is anyone uh, has been called to the capital city to swear allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. And the means of doing so is a great golden image that he has built. This story ends with the promotion of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as they are variously known. It also ends with an increased knowledge and popularity of the Hebrew God, the Jewish God, Yahweh. And so if you go down to the end of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar makes a decree. Uh, would you like to read for us verse 28 and 29, please? Of chapter uh, 3. 28 through 30. Daniel chapter 3, verse 28 through 30 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Okay, so we have to stop and ask ourselves the question, do we have any historical record of uh, this event right here? Of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of uh, loyalty ceremony that's taking place, or you know, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, yeah. as, they're, as they're also called, um, of all of the leaders being called to the capital of the empire, um, of these three individuals being promoted, and of an increased knowledge and popularity of Yahweh in the world. Is there, do we have any historical re- uh, record of that outside of the Bible? And to do so, what we need to do is to actually look at what was taking place, and the reason for this golden image that we have here in the first place. Okay, so chapter 3, the events of chapter 3 are a reaction by Nebuchadnezzar to the events of chapter 2. In what way are they uh, a reaction to chapter 2? Well, in um, if we backtrack a smidge, in chapter 2, they've got the... the um, it's focusing on the events of, of, of more Daniel rather than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's right. So this is a follow-on of Daniel. So Daniel, he, um, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and Nebuchadnezzar interprets the dream. So, uh, sorry, Daniel, D- Daniel yep. interprets the dream. Yep. So Daniel has favor with the king. And um, so these are Daniel's friends, and now they too have favor. Okay, how does how does Nebuchadnezzar react? What, why, is, why is Nebuchadnezzar... Um, why is he building an image that's made out of gold? Based off the dream. Based off the dream, yes. And why would he make it all out of gold? Because the head was gold. That's right. And he and Daniel's interpretation of the dream 
uh, King Nebuchadnezzar represented the head. And what is Nebuchadnezzar communicating by building an image all of gold? Well, in the dream, the the, the statue that was mixed up of different metals and, and, and elements, it was destroyed. Yes. Um, so by this... I guess he's trying to say that that gold is stronger than the other things, and so therefore, it is. Therefore, it's going to be a lot stronger, and it's going to withstand whatever is thrown at it. Whereas in reality, it just means that rather than step by step, it's all going to be overtaken. It's all with this example that um, with with this statue that Nebuchadnezzar has built. It's all going to go in one. Yeah, now the, the, the events of Daniel chapter 2 were a public relations disaster mm. for Nebuchadnezzar of just absolutely epic proportions yeah. um, that he had to, he was forced to address. Well, he felt that he was forced to address. Uh, why do you think Daniel chapter 2, the events of Daniel 2, the dream of Daniel 2 was such a public relations disaster? Well, I'd imagine that the, the king, there's, been, there's a number of different examples throughout the Bible where uh, a king or a person of power has a vision or a dream that they don't know what happens. Yep. And they typically get quite distressed. Mm-hmm. And so when a king is distressed, everyone panics and they, they want to do their best to impress the king to make sure that they are doing what they can. They're coming up with all these different ways of their own, uh, using their own gods, their own theories, to try and make the king happy, to try and make the king, uh, to try and interpret what's happened in this vision or dream. And then here comes along Daniel, who has a completely different god, a completely different set of beliefs, a completely different set of morals, and he has sort of brushed them all out the way and said, no, hang on. My God can do it. This is what he says. Yeah, okay. Let's, let, let's look at it from the perspective of uh, the dream, which says that the first medal is Babylon. Yep. And then the second medal, which is silver, what was the second one? Oh, that was... Uh, is that... Rome came a bit later, didn't it? Yes. Yes. Um, I can't remember what's between them. Okay, that was the uh, Persians. Per- yeah, that's the one. But they don't know that it's the Persians at this particular point, because that doesn't come, that information doesn't come in until chapter eight. Yep. Okay, so all they know is that another nation is going to overtake Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian Empire. Why is that bad for Nebuchadnezzar? Because he's the king. Yeah. And another empire. Yep. Is going to overtake his empire. Yep. Okay, so now we're starting to get to the reason why Nebuchadnezzar <laughs> builds an, an image of gold. This is a public relations disaster, um, an international relationships, relations disaster of epic proportions. Basically, what you've got with the ancient kings was that the only reason that the ancient kings survived was because of the, the, their survival was based on the level of paranoia they could maintain because there was always a plot Every day of their lives, they woke up to the reality that somewhere in the empire there was a plot to take their life. And if they did not maintain an incredibly high level of paranoia, then they would be killed and taken off that throne in a fraction of a second, a heartbeat. Daniel has come along and Daniel has said, oh, guess what? This dream is a dream that your empire is going to come to an end. Now, immediately what that has done is it has given strength and motivation to anyone who is considering rebellion against the Babylonian Empire. And it has weakened 
anyone who is going to defend Nebuchadnezzar because, you know, in those days, you've got to pick a side and you've got to pick the winning side. It's really important to be on the winning side because you're on the losing side. Things are going to end very, 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 very badly for you. If you don't get killed in battle, you're going to be slowly tortured to death. Um, so it's important to pick the winning side. And so now Daniel's come along and said, well, actually, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is going to be overtaken by somebody else. You're going to have a whole bunch of people in the empire who are going to immediately put up their hand and say, oh, you, guess what? You know, the silver, that's me. Right here. That's me, the silver. And then you're going to have people like, okay, we know Nebuchadnezzar's empire is not going to last. <coughs> we can assume from that that Nebuchadnezzar also will not last. Um, therefore, we are, um, you know, we are unsure as to which side we should take. And you cannot afford to have any level of doubt amongst those who are defending you. And so this... This image here is built as a reaction to that. Um, and, of course, any kind of rebellion that breaks out in the empire, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be haunted by this dream. Like, is this the next one coming along that is going to, you know, sort of topple my empire? Okay, so uh, we need to um, continue on and look at a couple of other aspects of the story. But we also need to look back in history and we need to ask ourselves the question, was there ever a rebellion raised against Nebuchadnezzar? The answer to that question is yes. Now, having noted that there was a rebellion that was raised against Nebuchadnezzar, we would assume anyone who is raising a rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar is going to use anything at his disposal to motivate his troops. And Daniel's dream, Daniel's vision of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's vision of chapter 2, was publicly known. It happened very, very publicly. There was a decree to destroy the entire Babylonian cabinet. Um, this was not something that was hidden away. And so if you were going to raise rebellion, that's where you'd start. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so we go back into history. We find that there was one major revolt led against Nebuchadnezzar. It took place in the year 595 BC. It was led by a man of, by the name of Nahu Abhi Ahi Bullet. Interesting name. Um, and in the uh, in one of the inscriptions that we read about this revolt, it reads: "In the tenth year of the king of, in the tenth year, the king of Akkad was in his own land. From the month of Kislev to the month of Tebet." There was a rebellion in Akkad. With arms, he slew many of his own army. His own hand captured his enemy. So this is speaking about the king of Akkad, the king of uh, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And it is describing a rebellion that takes place in which he is actually fighting alongside in hand-to-hand combat with his own soldiers, but against his own soldiers. So this is a civil war that has broken out. Now we get to a little bit of information uh, in relationship to what is happening here when we look at what takes place subsequently. You see the very next, um, we have that taking place in, um, in 595. If you go then to 594, you find that Nebuchadnezzar marches his army through the western provinces. He does a display of force basically in the western provinces and so we know that this revolt, it broke out in the western provinces which is near where uh, well, Judah is a part of that. And so he puts down the revolt and then he does a big display of his military power following that in the Western provinces. 
And then having done that, so this is the steps that Nebuchadnezzar takes. First, he destroys the rebellion with military force. Then he intimidates those provinces that had been in rebellion. And then he obviously has to appoint a whole bunch of new officials um, to replace all of the kings and leaders and governors and satraps and so forth that were in those western provinces. And he has to have them swear their loyalty to him. And what he does at this particular time is require every person in the empire to come to Babylon to re-swear their allegiance to the king. Now, that's exactly what we find happening in Daniel chapter 3, isn't it? Indeed. Okay, so who was the king in Judah at this particular time? Any idea? No, is I think we might have mentioned it in way back when when we were studying uh, it Daniel. Was Zedekiah. Yes. Now, if Daniel is a captive in Babylon, how is there still a king in Judah? Well, I don't know. Ah, that's a good question. Is, okay, so Nebuchadnezzar basically captured uh, the city of Jerusalem three times, uh-huh. and Daniel was taken captive in the first. Time he captures Jerusalem, and Zedekiah is taken captive in the last time. So Zedekiah is still ruling there as a vassal king of the Babylonian Empire. Okay, and the Bible speaks about it in Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 59 to 64, how Zedekiah was required to go to Babylon and to be a part of this loyalty oath to Nebuchadnezzar because, as the Bible says in Daniel 3, everyone who was anyone was required to be there to re-swear their allegiance to the king. And so you find this crossover of events between what is taking place in history, what is taking place in Jeremiah, what is taking place in Daniel, all kind of coming together. Okay, now what is actually even more interesting is that at this particular time, they have um, a whole... Nebuchadnezzar obviously had to replace... You know, all of the um, the officials, you know, court officials, officials of the lands, officials of town, district officials, vassal kings, etc. Within the western provinces that um, obviously as a result of putting down this rebellion, a lot of them had been killed. So he has to replace all of those. And there's also representatives from these provinces in his court in Babylon that have to be replaced as well. And what archaeologists have found is a prism that is called the Prism of New Western Appointments. And there's about 60 different names here and titles that are given. And this is basically Nebuchadnezzar going through and saying, okay, we've had this rebellion, we've, we've got rid of all of these officials, let's replace them all. And amongst that, there are five different categories. There are court officials, officials of the land, officials of towns, district officials, and Western vassal kings. What is interesting when you go down through this particular prism is some of the names that are listed on it. Okay, so remember that we had, in Daniel chapter 3, we have a loyalty oath that is taking place. We have a gathering together of the leadership of the empire. We have the promotion of um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we have a popularity of Yahweh. 
Those are four salient points that come out of Daniel chapter 3. Okay, so amongst these 60-odd names that are listed on the prism of uh, New Western appointments, here they come. Uh, Nebuzaradan. Never heard of him. You'll find him in 2 Kings 25, verse 8 to 10. I see. Um, he is the one who burned Jerusalem after it was conquered. Right. Uh, Nergal Sarariza. I haven't heard of him either. You will find him <laughs> in Jeremiah 39, verse 3. There we go. And what is interesting is, you know, typically the case, spellings change slightly. So you have Nebuzaridinam is Nebuzaradan in the Bible. And Nergal Sariasa is Nergal Sarariza in the Bible. Um, and then you have Hananu, Meshalim, and Adinabu. In other words, Hananiah, Mishael, and Abednebo. Very odd names, but what you, I see what you're saying there, that you know, they're, they're mentioning, they're directly... Yeah. And these three are mentioned as not Western, you know, district officials and so forth. These three are promoted within the province of Babylon. So Hananu, which is Hananiah, um, was promoted to be the, the, to the position of chief of the merchants of Babylon. Uh, Abednego, or Abednego uh, becomes secretary of the crown prince Amal Marduk and Meshalim or Mishael becomes keeper of the slave girls. Um, and so there you go. Once again, uh, wherever you go, and by, of course, Amal Marduk is mentioned in 2 Kings 25, verse 27 to 28. The Bible is history, rock-solid history. We can trust everything that it says.